don't take no for an answer ever figure it out if you get asked to do something or tasked with something on the set of a film make it happen like that's how you move ahead in the film world on today's episode of the colin and samir podcast we talk to our friend jack coin Jack is a New York-based filmmaker and YouTuber who got his start working with Casey Neistat in New York City. And the way they started working together is really interesting. We get to talk to him a little bit during this episode about it. Jack worked with Casey for over nine years. And during that time, he launched a technology company with him called Beam. And eventually, Beam was bought by CNN and turned into a news network. And that's actually where we met Jack for the first time. We made a video about Beam. They invited us to their office, and we got to sit with Jack and talk about ideas for how we could work together. So with a lot of excitement, we came back to L.A. thinking we were going to work with Beam, which was kind of a dream come true for us. And four days later, we saw the BuzzFeed article that said Beam News is getting shut down. That day, Jack sent us an email and said, I'll keep you posted. Everything's kind of crazy right now. Two days later, sent us an email and said, Beam has been shut down. I've been let go. Do you guys want to go on a road trip? So quick side note, Beam did not fully get shut down. It's actually still operating, but it's in a completely different place now. That's a side note. Okay. Jack ended up telling us that he got an RV and had to deliver it from Los Angeles to San Francisco in four days. It sounded like a crazy idea. We didn't really know Jack all that well at this point, but we said yes, and we ended up documenting every day of that road trip on YouTube. Since that trip, we've become really close friends with Jack. And when he was in LA last month, we had him over to my house and got to sit him down and ask him some questions. We talked to Jack about his start as a filmmaker, how he ended up working with Casey Neistat, transitioning to Beam, and then transitioning out of Beam and being a full-time YouTuber. This is a really awesome conversation for anyone who's interested in becoming a YouTuber or just interested in YouTube in general. It's just an amazing conversation. It can teach you a lot about bringing your own ideas to life. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Jack Coyne. So we have Jack Coyne here in the building back in Los Angeles. Jack, what's up? Yes, it's great to be here. My favorite place. The place that I want to live besides New York. <laughs> <laughs> the only other place that I love. No, I love all of I don't know what I'm talking about. So since we saw you in December, or since we met you in December in New York to now, it's it's currently March in Los Angeles. Wow. What are all the places you've been to? Dude, that's insane. That is it's, insane. It's only like three months. We've only known we each other for three months. And it feels like we've known each other for four years or, or something. That's true. At least. That's absolutely true. So where are the places that I've been since we met? Um, first, Iceland in January uh, for a Beam News segment on cryptocurrency. Went out there with Jake Roper, did a spot um, that went really well. And then at Beam was sort of, I think it was the beginning of February when, when it was shut down and I sort of went in a new direction. First place I went was L.A., linked up with you guys, and then we got the RV and, and drove all around California. Um, where did I go after that? South by Southwest. I think I went back to New York briefly, and then I went to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. You're missing a huge trip. Oh, my gosh. Trip. Yeah. And then I went to Vietnam. Yep. <laughs> and then I went to South by Southwest. And then I went from South by to, I got in a car and drove to Memphis, and then I drove to Nashville, 
and I met up with my buddy Tuck, and we went on a road trip sort of around most of the, a lot of the country. We drove from Nashville to uh, St. Louis to Kansas City to uh, through across Kansas uh, into Colorado, from Colorado to Utah to Arizona to New Mexico, back to Texas, and I flew from Texas back to Los Angeles. So I've been covering a lot of ground. I think I've, I went to like six or seven new states that I'd never been to before. Yeah, so you've done U.S. traveling, you've done international traveling, and this has all been in the last couple months. Um, before we get it too into that, I wanted to say that we just put out a tweet right now asking for questions. We're going to end this episode with Q&A from Twitter. Um, in the future, if you guys want to participate in something like this, follow us on Twitter at Colin and Samir. Also follow Jack on Twitter at Jackie Coin. I'm going to retweet that. Appreciate that. Too, so we can get, you know, get it going. On those trips that you just took, um, both international and here in the U.S., tell us about some of the stops and some of the lessons you learned and just things that you experienced that were um, really enjoyable. All along the time, you were vlogging as well. So some of the things that you captured on camera, just tell us about yeah. those those experiences. Yeah, so... Uh, I think uh, it's it's all I've I've basically been in New York since college. Traveled a little bit, but not a ton, and I've both mostly had an office job and stayed in one place. Um, and so, uh, the overall theme is that it's a huge contrast. I think from from having a job in an office, being able to work on the road, and um, experiencing new things every day is is really is really incredible. Um, and it's a huge inspiration for when you're making movies, right? It's because, like, the story's right there in front of you. You're in a brand-new place, and you're trying to figure out what's going on in that place. So um, being able to wake up in a place you've never been and try and figure out what's good, that's a story on its own. Uh, and so I think it's the story was different whether I was in Vietnam or whether I was in Memphis. Um, there's different stuff going on, but... Getting outside of the place where you where you're from or where where you normally live, it, it kind of like breaks you out of your uh, this, the pattern and the routine that you're used to, and it, and it can become a great inspiration for telling a new kind of story. So right now you're in a place where you can decide what you want to do each day, where you want to go to sort of create these movies. But where does this journey start? Bring us back a little bit to your origin story. And how you even got to this place. Yeah, how far, how far back should we go? Let's go deep. I mean, just from, from the time of where you actually picked up a camera and decided to pursue that. Yeah. So way, well, let's go way deep. Uh, high school. Uh, I Whoa. took a film class in high school. Um, I'd, I'd watched Goodfellas for the first time at some point when I was like in seventh grade or something like that, eighth grade. And I was like, wow, this is what making a movie is. This is what directing is, is doing something with the camera and telling like a really exciting visual story and adding music and adding all these layers to like tell crazy. I was like, wow, directing is like an actual job. It's not just like movies don't just pop up out of nowhere. There's one person who's sort of sharing their vision. So I became really into the idea of becoming a filmmaker, um, took a class in high school, made something probably so bad. I have no idea where it is. Um, and then decided that I wanted to pursue that in college. Went to Wesleyan in Connecticut. Um, they have a great film program there, and I was lucky enough to get in. It's pretty competitive. I was lucky enough to get accepted into the film program uh, starting freshman year, um, and it was a lot of film theory classes, watching movies, writing histories, um, 
and analyzing films uh, wasn't a ton of picking up a camera and making stuff. And so to contrast that, I, was, I wanted to find an internship or do some kind of work in the summer back home in New York that I would be able to pick up a camera and actually make stuff or learn from people who are making stuff. And so after my freshman year, I was lucky enough to get an internship working for Casey Neistat, who he wasn't a huge YouTuber at the time. He probably had like 100 or 200,000 subscribers maybe. He was just starting. But he had this, he had this show on uh, HBO with his brother that was great, and it was very similar to stuff that's on his YouTube channel now. And I started working there, and that was a huge inspiration. And pretty quickly it turned into being able to pick up a camera and help him make movies and just being around that energy, being around someone who was sort of like making a career out of commercial film production and telling stories about himself in a way that felt super accessible. You know, it wasn't like a TV commercial or a Hollywood movie. It's like, I could make something that looks like that. Um, and so it was like a lot of a lot of that stuff outside of school. And then when I went, I think I was a junior, I studied abroad and I made a ton of movies, like travel vlogs, um, in like 2011 or something and traveling around Europe making videos of that. And that was like iMovie, learning how to edit, getting getting much more comfortable with that stuff. Um, and then I finished college and started working for Casey full time and was doing a lot more producing and doing bigger budget productions and stuff. And I continued um, making music videos with my buddy Henry, who I went to college with, um, and whoever else would sort of have me. Um, and that was a ton of fun, and that got me even more comfortable with, with, with filmmaking and using some fancier cameras and whatnot. And then, you know, I never was totally, like, into the idea of having my own YouTube channel and, and turning the camera on myself at that point. It wasn't until I worked at Beam and was a host producer there and had to film myself and was sort of forced to do it in a work capacity that I got more comfortable. I was like, I can film myself. I could do this vlog thing to the point that when, you know, I was let go and that, and that beam sort of ended, I, I was like, you know what, let me just take a stab at this. Let me start telling stories about me and the stuff that's going on in my life because I think, you know, people are somewhat interested based on this, the work that I did as a community manager at Beam or the work that I'd done producing videos for, uh, for Beam News. So that sort of was, it was like an obvious next step, I think, to start making my own YouTube channel. And then I hit you guys up. And we went on an RV trip, and we made a bunch of awesome videos. <laughs> so today, your YouTube channel has 183,000 subscribers. You've generated over 2.8 million views on that channel. Um, I want to get into that, but I want to take a step back. You said the Wesleyan film program was you know, a pretty competitive one to get into. So when you were in high school, after seeing Goodfellas and you know, making some high school pieces, how much were you creating at that time, and what did you do prior to getting into Wesleyan yeah. um, as like a startup filmmaker. Yeah. So not a ton, to be honest with you. It was like the AV club in high school. And it was like working with, I did a lot of theater stuff in high school. Um, so working with the theater department and figuring out like how to get comfortable, a little bit comfortable with like one of those big old Panasonic video cameras and like um, those mini DV tapes. It was a lot harder back then. Like it wasn't just like an SD card that you threw in your computer. It was much less digital. Um, but it was just any opportunity to pick up a camera and, like, shoot stuff and, and learn from, from teachers in high school, like, how to, like, edit a movie together and how to work with Final Cut Final Cut 6 or 5 or 7 or seven. whatever it was back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, seven. That was classic. Right. That was classic. so hard to let yeah. go. 
it was hard for me to let go. When Colin and I first met, I was still editing on Final Cut 7, and he was using Premiere, and I remember looking at him as if he was, like, this new wave, futuristic dude uh, editing on this new software. Yeah, I mean, I just, I started on Premiere, so that was all I really knew. I was scared of Premiere for a really long time, even though I loved 7, and then someone was like, you know you can just change the keyboard shortcuts, so it's exactly the same as Final (laughs) Cut 7. I remember Final Cut 7, though, the biggest, like, holdup with it was the rendering. You remember, like, oh, yeah. Oh, would, my. Brutal. Yeah, you would make an edit, and, like, you literally couldn't watch it back. Yeah, it was brutal. It was not a thing, like, to watch back an edit. You had to have one of those big, those old Mac, like, G5s or whatever they were. Yeah. Um, so you were doing... Wait, so, yeah, so, so in high school, yeah. I, I just started picking up a camera and making stuff. And then Wesleyan was a liberal arts school, so I didn't get in for, like, based on, like, film stuff. But once you get into the school... You have to take two classes. One's called film history, one, and one's called film analysis. And you write a bunch of essays, and, like, you take, like, super hard tests on a bunch of the movies that you watch. And it's just, like, one of these things where if you work really hard, you get an A in the class. And if you get an A, you can become a film major. I think if you get a B plus or higher, you can get a, become the film major. Um, but it's super competitive, and it's curved. And there's, like, hundreds of kids in the class because everyone at Wesleyan wants to be a film major freshman year. Um, so that's sort of how I how I got into that. And then like it was it was much more through working with Casey where he was like, pick up a camera, shoot stuff, edit stuff. That's how you get better. So take us through that experience. How did you go from being a student at Wesleyan to being an intern for Casey Neistat? How did yeah, that happen? And, totally. And you know, why were you so passionate about making that happen? So it's it my buddy uh Nick from 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 college, he said he knew that I was interested in film stuff and, and wanted to get a cool internship. And I actually I had an intern doing something else that summer uh, after freshman year. He said, you need to check out these guys. He'd known about them somehow. They have a show that's coming out on HBO. I think you'll really like it. It's your kind of vibe. It's very like New York-centric stuff, really good storytelling. You should check the show out. And at the time, they had there were posters on the city buses and stuff for the show. And I kept so I, So Nick told me that, and I kept seeing these posters... And it was like Friday at midnight, and it was like three weeks. It's coming out. And so I had this idea in my head, like, I need to watch the show. You know, I really trust Nick's take on this. And finally the show came out, and I watched it, and it was like 15 minutes into the episode. I was like, holy cow, I need to work with these dudes. This, they're, everything about how they make movies is super inspirational and, like, is a style that I want to try and pursue as well. And this was before vlogging before YouTube was like a really big thing. Like YouTube was like fail videos back then. I, I reached out and got like their assistant, this dude, Matt Walker. He was, he was managing the office at the time. And he said, yeah, come on in on Monday. This is like Friday night. He emailed me back like on Saturday, like, yeah, come in on Monday. Let's talk. And so I went over and he liked me, I guess. And I offered to work for free and that's how it got started. And it was a lot of like physical labor in the office, but their office was super cool. There was a half pipe, in the office and all this like handmade awesome stuff and it was literally the set for the tv show that i've been watching and i was obsessed with so i was like wow this is incredible like i'll do whatever you guys need i'll be here 24 7 doing anything for free just because i'm in a place that i've seen on hbo that i think is so cool like let me get involved remember fantasy factory rob deardex fantasy factory of course so that was like another one of my favorite shows growing up and it was like a new york indie version of the fantasy factory in this like small studio in Tribeca. I was like so, so, so into it. And thankfully like got hired and like they let me kind of do my thing and I 
stuck around. It's funny that that office space became aspirational for you and you had seen it on HBO. And now everyone knows about that office space through his YouTube channel, right? So many people are inspired by that office space. It's so iconic. Yeah. He, he, Casey's always talking about moving to like LA or something. I know he wants to go there at some point, but like what would happen? Like, to the office. He, he, he joked about like getting it forklift, like airlifted out, <laughs> like just literally like cut it out of the building. I, so one year, one summer I was working there and the landlord was, they were replacing all the windows on the whole facade of the building. And Casey like refused to let him change the windows because he wanted to keep these old school, like old industrial windows on the outside of the building and like keep everything exactly the same and we had like seven air conditionings inside the windows and it was like so hot in the summer and so cold in the winter because those stupid old windows but they looked (laughs) really cool and they were part of that set and so it couldn't let it go yeah i remember when we came to meet you at beam we were standing outside and you can see his office space obviously right next street yeah and it felt like a museum. You look through and you go, oh, yeah, I recognize that. There's so much on the walls. It's, it's incredible. I, so I worked out of that office for, like, many years. And I remember people would come in. Like, part of my job was to, like, maintain the space and make it, like, look great. Um, and people would come in for meetings and stuff. And you'd catch them and they'd just be staring around, looking up at the ceiling, looking at all the stuff on the walls. Because it is, like, this museum. Or it's, like, a frame in a Wes Anderson movie or something. Like, there's just... It's super maximalist. There's stuff everywhere. And so you're talking to someone like, hey, welcome. Like, how you doing? Like, you're, you know, me and Casey just getting ready. Like, hang on. And they're like staring up, like jaws wide open, overwhelmed with all the stuff everywhere. Yeah. So you, you had mentioned um, that Goodfellas was a movie that really inspired you to get into filmmaking. Totally. It's it's totally a movie that actually it's the movie that made me decide I wanted to become a, a filmmaker and and pursue film, and stylistically I feel like early days Casey um, was also kind of similar to the style of Goodfellas. What I mean by that is there was a lot of um, voiceover, even the tone of Goodfellas, like a lot of early Casey was like that. So did you guys connect on style just from you know inspiration when you came in, just seeing the style, being like, oh man, I really connect with this. This this was similar to my inspiration. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just, like, the, sh- the show, I don't know if anyone out there has seen it, the HBO show. I don't even know, like, how you can find it. Like, I think it's on oh, YouTube. Oh, you can find it. Yeah, it's yeah. on YouTube. You search Nice Dad Brothers and you okay. can find it. it it's, it's, like, it's, it's a little bit different than the vlogs. It's, like, much less polished, and, but it feels much more intimate. Um, and, yeah, in a way, it's, it's, it's like... It's like Goodfellas or like a Scorsese movie in that Casey and his brother Van were constantly trying to do like filmmaking tricks and like do cool shots, interesting shots and make every frame compelling somehow. Um, And so and also their use of music in the editing, I think, is really strong. Like what always stuck with me with Goodfellas was the songs and the way the songs sort of like enhanced every single shot of that movie or every every different scene that they're in, like, made it, like, pumped up the, the emotion and the energy so much. And so I think Casey does that really well, too. Um, and then, and then the two, we like a lot of the same movies. What was one of the movies that you worked on um, with Casey early on that was one of your favorite things that, that you got to do? I mean, there was, there was a lot yeah, of yeah, yeah. intricacies at that time with his stuff. Um, uh, one that I remember early on was Bike Thief, where... Uh, I rode a bike around New York forever. 
Um, Casey was huge into biking before the boosted board came about. And he made a video for, it was called Bike Thief, and he locked his own bike around New York and different places and then stole it from himself to see in like really loud, obnoxious ways, like with an angle grinder or with like a huge axe or something, to see if police or if other pedestrians, if anyone would take notice and try and stop a potential bike thief because he'd gotten his bike stolen. And the moral of the story is that most people just in New York just, like, let it happen and don't pay attention and don't care. And, like, the final scene, I guess, is, like, the cops finally see him and stop him. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? They don't, like, move to arrest him right away. So the the moral is, like, a ton of bikes get stolen in New York and no one really does anything about it. So it was, like, a PSA. Like, can we, how do we get people to pay more attention? Um, and so I got to work a camera on that. Um, and it was just a story that I personally connected with because I've had bikes stolen countless times in New York. And so it was fun to like do the camera and be super involved in that production. Yeah. And th- there was a lot of stuff that I know that you're credited on uh, in Casey's videos that involved a lot of stop motion, involved a lot of intricacies um, in editing. So what were some of the more like unique projects that you got involved with or even you know unique elements of videos that you were involved in? There was one video that... Max Joseph was editing, Casey was directing for, I think it was a Nike video, and we did this stop motion with M&Ms, and I remember, I was like, the PA or whatever, like, on this, like, at the overhead table, and Casey's, like, giving me directions about, like, how do you do stop motion, like, you, we would film a continuous video, move your, move your hand in, move the M&M, like, an inch or less, move your hand out, move your hand back in, move it a little bit more, move your hand out. And it's just like literal hundreds of different shots of like the things moving in a slightly different, in, in this pattern to, to create the stop motion. And I remember doing that and it was like spelling out different words. So like the M&Ms come together, they go apart. Um, and that was a huge staple. Those types of animations with like physical objects, like food and stuff uh, were a huge staple of the HBO show. Um, and so that was like, super fascinating to work on for this like Nike fuel band piece. What, what were some of the more, I guess, interesting or unique requests or just like things about working with in close proximity to someone like Casey? Um, yeah. And, like just, just having a relationship with someone like Casey, like yeah. what, what's something that's unique about that? He's totally self-taught didn't like go to film school, didn't go to college for film stuff, and is obviously like a great storyteller, right? So being in proximity to someone like that, it's like, how do you, what do you have to do? What, what Do you have to go to a fancy film school to become a great filmmaker? No. Do you have to read a certain book or whatever, watch a certain movie to get the answers? Not necessarily. Like, the answers are on the internet for anything you need to know. Um, and so for me, as like a pupil of that, it's, don't take no for an answer, ever. Figure it out. If you get asked to do something or tasked with something on the set of a film, make it happen. Like, that's how you move ahead in the film world. And even predict what people are going to ask you and have it done ahead of time. Don't ever say, hey, I don't know how to do that, so I, I, I can't. Or um, can you show me how to do it? I'm not sure. It's like, dude, look it up. Like, go on YouTube. YouTube has the answer to literally every question in the universe. Whether it's learning how to do an After Effects trick or whether you're building a new table or desk or workspace or something like that or doing carpentry or woodworking or whatever or plumbing, the answer is on YouTube. Just like look it up, watch some guy made a tutorial, follow what they said and do it. 
Um, so that I think was the number one thing of, of working with somebody like that who just taught taught himself everything, like teach yourself everything. The answer, like figuring out is out there. Just do it. That's great. So now transition us to, you know, Casey launches a tech company, Beam, and he brings you on board with him. What's your thinking through that process and, and how does that happen? So first, Casey was invited to MIT for fellowship and it was going to be like a whole semester of school, basically, the MIT Media Lab. He was gonna, he's like, all right, I'm moving to Boston. And so I was like, okay, I, I guess we're at the end of the line here because I produced a bunch of like, cool videos. The most recent thing we've done is this J. Crew. Uh, ad online for their suit and I was like really like riding high I was producing cool videos I felt really good about myself and then he's like you know what I'm going to do this MIT like tech thing I'm going to take this in a whole new direction I don't know where it's going to go and so I thought like my our time was together was done I was going to go in a new direction he said just stick it out hang out here in the office work on a couple projects here while I'm gone and then like come up and visit me in a few weeks at MIT and we'll figure out what the next step is and pretty quickly after that he had an idea of this tech startup thing that he wanted to build, this product that he wanted to build that was about enabling people to share what they're seeing and involve wearing Google Glass and filming stuff and, and telling stories with Google Glass. And this is, I think, before Snapchat Stories is really big or around the same time Snapchat Stories is starting. It was like Casey's idea was very much what we all have with Instagram Stories now or Snapchat, or all these different products that are available, where it's like, how do we let people on their phone or on mobile devices create little movies that are like the story of their day? Um, and so, you know, I, I was like diligent enough and hardworking enough and likable enough, I guess, that he, Casey was like, this, he, you should stick around and like keep working for me. We'll figure it out from here. In a matter of six months, it went from, I don't know if this is going to be a thing anymore to Casey's at MIT to, okay, we're actually starting a tech company to, okay, tech's cool. I guess people are making a lot of money from Facebook and stuff and, like, it seems to be the future. And building technology products isn't that different from making movies. You know, being a product manager and being a movie producer are similar. It's just about managing people's talent and time and expectations um, and working towards a common goal. So early days of Beam, what were your roles and responsibilities there and, and coming everything. from everything? Yeah, like everything. I wasn't writing code, and I wasn't, like, in charge of raising money. That was, like, sort of what Casey and Matt were doing. But, like, any little thing, whether it comes to we need to get health insurance, we need to figure out payroll, we need to open up a bank account, we need to, you know, get people to start testing these products out, let's find young people who want to get involved, um, you know, we need to hire some office managers and people to work here and like all that kind of stuff. Anything that goes into running a business and it's like an enormous amount of work goes into running a business was stuff that I sort of took on bookkeeping job, all that stuff. So th that sounds pretty in line with what you just said about working with Casey and like yeah. just figuring it out, right? Like whatever comes your way just figuring it out. Did you always have that mentality? Like growing up, were you no. always kind of like, yeah. all right, whatever comes my way, I'm going to be open to it and I'm going to figure it out? No, not totally. I was probably a lot more lazy when I was in high school. Like I didn't love like schoolwork and like, you know, doing stuff I didn't want to do, but I was really passionate about working in film and passionate about like making this tech company work. And I was young and hungry. So I would just work super long hours and pretty much every day, like I didn't, it was easy because every day was different and you never knew what to expect. So I'd get to the office 
at whatever, 6.30, 7 in the morning, and I would have a bunch of emails and get letters in the mail and all this stuff that was like, okay, now you have to, you know, pay this expense, pay this bill, figure this out, create a system for this, you know, talk to the accountant. Like, every day new stuff would come up, and because I had that, I developed that attitude working for the last, the previous few years with Casey, it was like, all right, I'll just figure it out. I'll figure out how to get in touch with the IRS to make sure this payment's processed correctly. I'll figure out how to create a payroll system, HR system that works for our employees. I'll talk to everyone, make that happen. Um, and it's, I mean, it's easy. Like anyone, you know, all, like people all over the world start businesses. There's a lot of work that goes into it and a lot of stuff you have to do. But like, you know, the tasks pop up and you do them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to listen to it because I think a lot of people who are interested in making movies, a huge part of making movies is problem solving. 100%. Huge part. Like when you're producing something, you have an idea. Once you have an idea, there's immediately a problem. How do I make it happen, right? And then there's micro problems as that goes along. Yeah. And it's actually the same thing when you start a business. Like you have a business, it's the same thing. It's an idea, and then you're just solving problems. So it's interesting to hear the parallels there from producing content to running a tech company, which obviously was content focused, but you know, really similar. Totally. Like just vibes to that. Yeah. I want to make a movie where there's a car crash, but I, I don't have a car that I can crash. I don't have a stuntman, right. all that stuff. Well, there's a way that you can do it. You know, can you do it with model cars? Can you fit like, how can you like fake it and figure out a way to do it? That's affordable for your budget. You know, that's problem solving right there. Right. So it's the same thing in making movies and starting a business, probably in anything. I mean, but maybe not in science. Maybe science is much more about following <laughs> the scientific method and like being it's a lot more. But like, yeah. yeah, it's just like figuring it out as you go. You know, I think one of the most impactful things. My first exposure to Casey was um, one of my friends met him at Sundance and just hit me up and was like, "Hey, I think you should check this guy out." And I saw a talk uh, he gave and just. Read, read about him, about how he was just talking about using whatever tools that the story will save you. And that as long as you have a good story, it didn't matter how you were producing it, as long as you were able to tell that story. So you could use the camera that's in your pocket, you could use you know the most expensive camera, but it's all about the story. And going to film school and growing up in LA, I was always really infatuated with like big sets, big Hollywood sets, but learning you know watching him operate is when it, I was exposed to, oh, okay, you can actually make movies in a totally different way you can do whatever you want and that was yeah. really amazing you know immediately the world becomes open because all of your ideas you're like there's there's no matter what there's a way to tell this story that's how the internet changed everything yes and it stopped being about film festivals and big budgets and raising money and like you could tell just as good of a story via the tools that are around you yeah you can tell put it on the internet a compelling story using people will watch what's, what's compelling more yeah. than people will watch what has the what's what was the most expensive and i think like if you watch the news every day pretty much every story or the headlining stories are little things little moments that people captured on their phone right and then the newscasters framing it up and it's like super low budget crappy cell phone footage and it's so compelling because it's like real and it's and it, it tells an interesting story it's like those little moments that you see on the news weren't captured by red epic they were captured on like a crappy cell phone it's so interesting you, you bring up news and beam took a big shift towards becoming a news media company yeah. post acquisition of cnn 
what was that like for you to move from tech company to now editorial, you know, news media? It was exciting, man. I mean, we were independent. We started as like a one, two person company, three person company. And then two years later, we were 12 or 15 person company. And we were facing really long odds. We were up against not only Snapchat, which was huge, but Instagram launched their stories feature. And it was like, you know, Beam was was doing something slightly different, but it was a similar enough thing where we were competing with these giants and we were a little tiny company. So CNN was an opportunity to pivot, take everything we learned and apply it in a new direction. Um, I was not expecting us to be acquired by CNN. Um, and when it happened, I was like, oh, that's weird. What are we going to do? Like work on Anderson Cooper's show? Like I have no idea. And they were, they were incredible. Like they gave us full freedom to do whatever we wanted. They just wanted us to make YouTube videos now in addition to everything. So it was like full circle. I was back to making YouTube videos, which is what I loved doing in the first place. This was a cool opportunity for me. Yeah, it sounds like specifically for you, you go back to having this education. And like you said, putting yourself on camera for the first yeah. time. What were some of the first pieces you worked on where you started to be able to do that, put yourself on camera and experiment a little more? Yeah, so uh, the, I think the first piece that I did where I was on camera was, oh, I did a segment that never aired around the solar eclipse where this professor at the University of Georgia made a map that transposed every Waffle House that was in the line of totality <laughs> of the solar eclipse. So the sol- so it was like this three-mile, maybe 30... I don't even remember how long it was, but it went across the entire country from Oregon to South Carolina. And it was like the heartland of America. And in the heartland, there's a ton of Waffle Houses. And so this professor like noticed, like thought about that and then figured out how to map it and made this really cool map and my idea, the story that I pitched was let me just go to these Waffle Houses and talk to people like the week before and see what their plans are for the solar eclipse and like what it's like being in a tiny town in like South Carolina where you're expecting a ton of people coming in from around the country and around the world to see this like crazy natural event and like eat waffles and talk about it. Um, and I, to this day, love the piece. I thought it was great, but it was my first one and I like didn't really know how to do news. I think I was kind of told by superiors that it wasn't serious enough Hmm. and and i think at the same time that that happened the riots in charlottesville happened like right when i got back so we were going to air that piece and then charlottesville happened it was like we're doing this kind of like not silly but less serious fun story uplifting story about waffle house and about america at a time where this really gnarly social event was going down in Charlottesville with, like, actual Nazis. So it was just, like, it it was kind of a shift in the thinking at Beam News at the time, too. I think that's an important lesson, though, for people who want to put themselves on camera and want to start making films, is that, you know, there was immense value in that piece for you, even though it didn't come out. Totally. I mean, everything's a learning experience. Yeah. And, like, I was like, okay, when when you film yourself and then you put the footage in the computer and you start editing it, you're like, wow, when I say this specific word or when I use this intonation or when I don't smile a certain way, I don't sound good and it make and it hurts the piece. So the next time I film myself, I'm not going to act like that. I'm going to act like this and I'm going to be more excited about this and put the intonation on this part of the sentence. 
And so that's sort of how you learn about like ma- telling film stories with your own face and with your own voice. Mm-hmm. It's like doing it a lot of times and understanding what makes you sound smart and good and compelling and what makes you sound boring and uninteresting. Yeah, it's really interesting to study yourself that way and to understand and watch that footage and think, that's not how I am in real life or that's not how I want to be perceived in real life. Yeah. It helps you, at least it helped, it's helped me in real life situations, understand the level of energy I want to bring, yeah. right? The eye contact I want to make and the, you know, how to make a point more eloquently. It's, yeah. a, it's a really interesting experience to study yourself on film. And real life is different than movies too, right? Like you need, like it's, it's kind of ironic in order to make something look realistic, you need to have all this superficial stuff in filmmaking. Like you need to have like a million lights to make it look how it looks, how the way you perceive it in real life just because of the way cameras work versus the human eye, right? So it's the same thing with, if we're having a conversation, we're just talking somewhere casually and there's no cameras around, like we're relating, we're empathizing with each other on a human level. But, but if I'm filming myself trying to tell you the same thing that I'm telling you in person, I need to use all these tricks to replicate what it's like in real life. I can't just talk the same way that I would talk in real life. And that's like what the whole filmmaking apparatus is. It's like using all this artifice to create reality. Get, I'm getting really deep right Whoa. now. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. So I, I think... Uh, it's postmodernism. I was going to take a couple steps back and think about the first time that Colin and I actually interacted with Beam, which I'm not actually sure if we talked about this or if you kn- knew this, but, well, first of all, we, we had Beam accounts. Uh, we had a Beam account, which was really fun yeah, at the time. True. But we went to VidCon, and I'm pretty sure Casey was standing on a park bench firing a shirt cannon. Yeah, I was there. Oh, and you were there, yeah. Yep. And that was our first, like, physical interaction with Beam. But there was so much, like, Beam came at this, such an interesting point when Casey was daily vlogging and just, like, it, it was so much hype around that time and that physical event. I remember it was one of the first times I had seen a YouTuber, um, you know, turn something into physical form. Like, so how many, like, I don't remember how many people downloaded Beam during that time, but I remember it was a lot. Like, yeah, millions. Yeah, so that's, like, that's amazing. To mobilize that amount of people totally. to an app was incredible and see it in the physical space. I'm just curious, like, all the experience, the variety of experiences with Beam, everything from doing physical meetups. I remember there was meetups for codes, right? Yep. At the time, so some learning lessons from taking a online audience and getting them, you know, connected to a brand that's um, somewhere else that might be on an app store or like physical meetups or, you know, the journey of a brand like Beam and any lessons in getting, you know, mobilizing an audience to get connected to that. So this, this story, like that was, that VidCon was June. Yeah. And of 2015, I believe. And Casey had started vlogging in Mar like April, 2015. And so it was April, May and then June. So it was like two and a half months of daily vlogging every day. And so he started building this audience and people started falling in love with him and his storytelling and whatever, like people were interested in whatever he wanted to share. And as the stories that he were telling was just his life and his life at the time was building Beam and getting it ready for that launch. Everything was building towards the t-shirt cannons that you were talking about. But rather than say, hey, this is what Beam is. In two months, we're going to launch it it was teased out much more It was like, we got this thing, got this thing, got this secret thing. So every single day we were building anticipation for what this thing was. We all knew what it was, but no one in the public knew what it was. And so it was kind of gearing up for a launch. Hey, we have this app. All right, I'll tell you a little bit more today. It's a social app. So it was this constant teaser 
for what was to come to the point that it just came to a head when we launched. And people were like, oh, that's incredible. Like, I need to try it. Like, I'm fiending to try it. Um, I guess it's like a movie trailer or something. It's like, you know, this show is coming out on Netflix and we're, we're showing you teasers for it and it's building up hype and anticipation all the time. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of people who, after watching Casey Daily Vlog, wanted to pick up Daily Vlogging. There, there was Daily Vloggers before that, but Casey kind of changed the entire yeah. uh, genre of Daily Vlogging. And the only thing I can think about, Colin and I have tried Daily Vlogging before. It's challenging. I mean, we did it when yeah, we were in really an RV hard. together. It's yeah, challenging to it. make a video every day. Um, I always think back and think about that time of starting a business, having a family, and you know, watching someone like Casey during that time, daily vlog, what, what was that experience like? And, you know, what did you guys think about it in the beam office while he was making videos every day and kind of building up this anticipation for the launch? I mean, we saw the value of the audience and of telling that story and fully believed in what he was doing on YouTube to tell that story. So it was everyone else's role and my role to take as much other responsibilities as possible off of his plate so he could focus on telling those stories. So it was about like enabling him as much as possible. Like we knew that it was going to work because the audience every day was growing and growing and growing. And like, you know, the teaser we were excited about. We knew what we were going to launch and we were still excited to see like what this launch thing was going to look like. Um, yeah, the, the, you know what? There's, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that, both in the way that Casey was daily vlogging. There was a story every day. It wasn't just, you know, hey, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It was like very structured in like act one, act two, act three. But I think the most fascinating was on a macro level too, like taking a step back, there was tension and drama in the concept that we didn't know what this project was. So you were coming back every day to see the story of that day, but you were also coming to get a little bit closer to understanding this secret project. And I remember that time was like the most addictive daily video uh, that I could have, I could ever imagine. I don't think I've had an experience like that again, where I'm that connected every day to a story. So that was a pretty amazing uh, experience and I'm sure amazing experience to be a part of. It, it also overlapped with the rise of this tech startup era. True. So, I think at the, around the same time there was that podcast startup, which was telling stories of that Silicon Valley's on HBO. Um, you know, everyone like everyone's seen the Social Network. Like people were obsessed and still are obsessed. But at that moment in in pop culture, people were obsessed with tech companies. Totally, it seemed like a like a gold rush, like a yeah. new gold rush. Yes, yeah. Um, there was yeah, there was so much money in VC money and stuff. Like that was a crazy era in in the tech world. Okay, so take us through now, post-Beam, getting let go, what your initial thoughts were there, and how you ended up putting out that first video about getting fired. So I knew that something was going to happen with the company. There was going to be a big change, like, a week before. Like, it was just strange. Like, there was strange stuff and strange messaging internally. On a Wednesday... At, like, noon, we got an email from Matt, the co-founder, being like, all right, meeting tomorrow at 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. or something. Everyone be there. Like, it's super important all-team meeting. And so I'm like, okay, there's going to be this big announcement. The next morning, we're at this meeting, and I guess right before the meeting starts, Casey had a video come out sort of, I guess, by accident that announced that Beam was shutting down, and then there was this BuzzFeed article that said Beam was shutting down, and then we had an all-team meeting 
where it was explained to us what was going on and that some people were going to be let go and then some people were going to be transitioned into CNN. And so that was like between 10 a.m. and noon on a Thursday. And then I had a meeting a few hours later uptown at CNN, like three or four. And they were like, Here, you're, le- you're being let go. Um, we'd love to work with you again in the future at some point, but like not in this capacity. Like, so it was a shock at first that this company that I worked at for so long was just over instantaneously. And then we went to the bar across the street and like <laughs> the whole like beam t- group was talking about like, wow, this is crazy. Like how quickly all this stuff happened and everything seemed to get shut down. And then like an hour later, I was like, I need to tell this story. And so I started working on it that night and the next day, like the story of like what happened. I got fired and like, I was like, I want to start making YouTube videos because I know how to do it. That's what I know how to do best. That's what I've been working on at Beam. And now instead of having to tell the stories that I'm pitching that work for that brand, I can just do whatever stories I want to do. Yeah, and that video now has over a million views. What was the type of effort that went into that video and what was important for you to get across in that first video telling this story? Yeah, there's there was sort of like two things. Um, one is... I wanted to convey, or I, I, I had to convey the emotion that I was feeling at the time because it was crazy. It was like a crazy emotional roller coaster. It was something that I was super attached to. It was just gone in an instant. And so I think you can see when you're watching it that I'm kind of emotional about it. And then the other thing is I wanted to reiterate the story and use this as a almost like a resume for me. It's like this is what I've been doing and just like put it down on in video that's what I did all through all these years, and this was the story in my perspective of what happened. Um, and I think I accomplished sort of both of those things. And then it, it, the I guess the final thing was to tee up what the future would be. Hey guys, I'm out there now. I'm gonna travel a bunch. Let's like if you're someone who's who has something cool going on, like maybe we can work on a movie together. And so it became a calling card. So that was like a hey, Colin and Samir, what's going on? <laughs> I texted you guys before even that happened. That's true. I, I have a question for you. We we talk about this all the time. I feel like we've, we've done it in a couple of videos where it's like, yeah, we made a video about Beam, then we met Jack. But I don't know that we've ever heard. What was your experience of receiving, like, and watching the video that we had made? And wh- why did you guys end up reaching out? Like, why did wh- well, how did that all happen? Because if you guys don't know, Colin and I made a video about Beam. We, we were obviously very intrigued by everything that was happening on YouTube with, with Beam and the transition. And we made a video essentially reviewing what we thought of Beam. And we were invited to Beam, and we ended up being in the office about a, a week or two. About a month later, I think. A month later, yeah. but a week or two before Beam ended up getting shut, shut down. down. Yeah. So we the part of the story that people don't know, I think, is that we sort of knew each other bef- before that, tangentially a little bit. Um, we had met Colin. That's true. At a party. Yep. Like two years before, and we have a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. And what did we talk about? We talked about uninterrupted and Bleacher Report and just the state of sports media. It was a very unique conversation for that party. Yeah, at like a huge party in Silver Lake. Yeah. Like a huge <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Samir, we have a mutual friend, Emily who had yep. told me about you, you guys. She's like, you should f- you should check out these guys. Like two years earlier, like we'd been working together on some other project. She's like, you should check out these guys. They're big fans of Casey and like, you know, similar style. They do YouTube stuff. You would like them. 
And I didn't. Re- I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I wasn't really thinking about it. And then you guys popped up a couple times. You were on Casey's vlog at one point. I'm like, oh, those are the guys. Like, I know those guys from somewhere. And then you made this Beam video, and it was really good. And it was really, it was a very generous assessment of what Beam was. It was really positive. So it was just nice. And everyone in the office is excited about it. They're like, this is great. This is an awesome review. Like, it's cool that people are passionate about Beam, Beam News, and have these ideas and thoughts. Let's get their feedback. And, like, my role for a long time as community manager at Beam and, like, audience person was to collect feedback from people who were using the stuff that we're making and, and watching the movies that we're making. So, like, obviously, I'm going to, like, reach out to you guys. There was, like, a lot of, like, re- like, I already knew you guys, sort of. And then you made that video, and I was like, okay, cool. This would be a great partnership. Let's figure out how to work together. And then hit you up and was like, come, let me know when you're in New York. And then you were in New York a few weeks later. And then Beam ended, and then I was in California, and we were <laughs> in an RV together, living together. Yeah, I mean, technically, we had met really one time in person. Yeah. And then we were just emailing back and forth, sharing ideas. But yeah. then once Beam shut down, you sent us an email that day, which I thought was really nice, because we had imagined, we had talked, you know, we had, we had talked about it and been like, whoa. You know, the, we were there five days ago or six days ago. This is crazy. Like, it must be nuts over there. But you had sent us an email that day just kind of filling us in on what was going on. And I remember thinking that was, like, really amazing that, you know, we were top of mind at that time. And uh, then we just kept talking. And then once you decided to, you know, take the, tri- take the trip. We- I was pitching the executive producer on Beam of me going out and hanging out and, like, living with you guys for, like, a week or two and, like, making a bunch of, like, concept videos for Beam. Like, that was kind of the idea. And then when Beam shut down, I was like, fuck, like, I need to tell these guys like, that it's over. Like, but I still want to do that same thing. But now we don't have to like, do news videos. We can do whatever kind of videos we want. And it's just we're in charge. So it was like more exciting even yeah, after it Excitement shut. was really palpable at that point when, when uh, eventually you came out to L.A. and we met at that coffee shop in Venice. Yeah. And we had to see if the RV was actually real and if that was a thing, that yeah. we were going to have a free RV yeah. for a week. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and, and before that, Jack sent us an email, which was a forwarded email from an RV company that just showed that he had booked an RV that needed to go from Los Angeles to San Francisco in four days. And he just forwarded us the email and was like, hey, guys, I got this RV. Are you down? And Colin and I talked on the phone, and we were like, I think we should, this sounds cool. We should do this. Yeah. And then we said, yes. Yeah. The same day. So like, that's how, that's how we ended up in an RV together. But then when you came to LA and we ended up making some videos together before we even got in the RV uh, with the guys from Yes Theory. But really the day that we got in the RV was the first day we really started to get to know each other and getting to know each other through making videos, I think is like one of the most fun ways to get to know someone. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of my favorite moments uh, from your first video from the the vlogs is when uh, it's late night, the first night we get to the desert, and you're just yelling, we're freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That was a highlight for me, first night. <laughs> yeah. And like the moment where we're sitting outside on the bench, like talking about murdering each other. <laughs> Are you guys going to murder me? Am I going to murder you? No, no. It, it was funny because it was unfolding in front of you know, every the audience's eyes, like how we were getting to know each other and enjoy each other's company and, and have the same humor. And like, it was, it was a really fun experience. And there's nothing like making daily videos and having that opportunity for people to tune in every day, right? Cause totally. you're living it, but then everyone gets to live it with you. It's really interesting. Yeah. So, so I have a question for you. The, your first video was not your first video on that YouTube channel. Um, yeah. 
the first, the I got fired video. But that video did, you know, over a million views and got a ton of attention. Did you feel, or what kind of pressure did you feel on that second video that you made and then the videos after that? Um, Not a ton. Because, like, it, it was already teed up. Like, I knew that the RV story was really interesting. And I knew, like, meeting up with you guys going on this trip was really interesting. Um, and, like, that, the first video ended with me being, I'm going to go on some kind of adventure. Like, we'll see. And I already knew, like, the adventure was, like, go, getting this free RV and driving around California, like, with these dudes I don't know who are good, talented filmmakers and cool guys. Like, so it, I wasn't nervous because it, was, it was just, like, there. It was, like, teed up. All I had to do was, like, it's like a one-foot putt or whatever. I just had to get in the hole. So I want to talk about the YouTube channel itself and the time prior to that. You, you know, were making videos about the Knicks at that time. You had, um, you, you had a, actually an active Twitter with a pretty significant audience. Yep. But the YouTube channel was, you know, I think you had started uploading in when twenty seventeen or. When did you start uploading to that channel? I started uploading that channel several years prior. I mean, I'd, I'd made a bunch of videos already, like music videos, shorts and stuff throughout college. And I just wanted a place for those to live. Like, I figured they should live on YouTube. I had, a, I had a Vimeo channel with a bunch of stuff for a long time. And I was like, I should just have this stuff on YouTube because people, like, want to follow me on YouTube. And people are searching my name because they know me from Casey. So I might as well, like, have a presence. And so I just put, like, all my old stuff on there. And then it was... Whenever the Knicks season, whenever the basketball season started in the fall and I was doing beam stuff, I'm like, this is a creative outlet where I can talk about something that every, that's like, there's always content. It's exciting to me. I love the Knicks. You know, I love New York. Um, there's a story right there. It's all the time. So it's like a good way to practice, like making videos on my own channel and like seeing what the reception is. So I just started doing that to not to like have a huge following as a Knicks vlogger, but just to like have an excuse to like make movies and practice. And why, I guess, what was the, was there any thought of vlogging when you first started working with Casey and started no. seeing him do it? It was never a thought. No. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable. I wasn't comfortable until I started doing it at Beam for work and I started doing it with the Nick stuff to like, just like put a camera in front of my face and like practice and try it. Um, and then once I did it for a while, I was like, you know what? I could do this. This isn't that crazy. And I got over that fear. But, like, there is this huge fear of, like, putting a, holding a camera up and talking to a camera, like, in public. Like, that's just, it's just weird. Everyone knows it's weird. You know it's weird. Um, but you have to, like, fight through it, and it's, like, worth it in the end. Um, and I think you are your own best vehicle for storytelling, right? Like, it's so much easier to, like, talk to the camera and, like, explain things to people than it is to build a big set and, like, do a big production. Uh, so that's that's like the easiest tool that you have in your toolbox. And how long do you think that process took you to get fully comfortable? Because, I mean, when we were together in the RV, I mean, I, I remember being just like, like taking a step back and being like, wow, this guy is so good at talking to a camera and being himself. Like you on camera and you with the cameras off and us hanging out was like a very similar person. I remember being like, wow, that is amazing how authentic you can be talking to a camera. So how long did that take you to get to that point? It didn't take that long. Uh, it just took, like I said before, like filming myself and then editing it back and being like, wait, you know, 
I'm more excitable in real life than I am when I'm putting the camera there. And so the reason that I'm not being more excitable is because I'm nervous or something. So like stop being nervous, snap out of it, and just be yourself. Be excited because you are excited. You're excited to be in this RV trip. You're excited to be in Vietnam. You're excited to be in Kansas City, wherever. Like it's awesome. Like this is an incredible time in my life, and it's it's really exciting. So just like let that shine through. And, like, the rest doesn't matter. Like, your diction doesn't totally matter. Like, saying the right words doesn't totally matter. The most important thing is is expressing how you're actually feeling in that moment. And, like, I'm feeling amazing, right? Because I'm out here living my best life, doing whatever I want to do, telling stories about it. Yeah. Specifically in that RV, I think Colin and I called it, like, a YouTube grand slam or something you had hit a million views on a video you had crossed over a hundred thousand subscribers by i think the second or third day we were in the rv together what were some of the lessons you've taken away so far from becoming a youtuber i mean you're you're a youtuber now with 183,000 subscribers what are some of the lessons that you've you've learned from becoming a youtuber do stuff for yourself don't do stuff for the audience like don't try and like fit into some some mold. If you make a video that is telling a story that you're personally excited about, the audience will come around and like it. You know, they're there for you, and like your best work is going to be the things that you're passionate about. Um, so that's one big lesson. Don't like read too much into the, into the comments. You can get like like people like no matter who you are, what video you make, you're going to get a comment that's like, "You suck. You should never do this." And it's really hurtful. And, like, if you step back and think about it, it's, like, some knucklehead kid who doesn't even care who's just saying that to be funny. And, like, they're not, it's not actually a knock against you. But it's hard to – so it's just, like, you have to, like, re- keep reminding yourself of that. Like, don't get put off by any negative feedback. Just keep making stuff for yourself. And is that an element of putting YouTube videos out that surprised you a little bit or at least the impact of that? No, I mean, I'd been exposed to it with other people. But it's obviously when it's you and it's personal, you feel it a lot more. So it's like, yeah, it's hurtful when someone says, like, you suck, man. And it outweighs the positive comments. We've talked about this a bunch, but um, it takes some getting used to. But putting yourself out there, like, that's what it is. Like, it's, it's the Internet generation. Like, we're all living on the Internet. People want to, like, people talk smack on the Internet. That's just part of it. It's fact. Sucks, but it is, <laughs> so, it is. Outside of comments, just in terms of, of making videos and putting them out regularly, what have been some other surprises or challenges that you've come across? The biggest challenges are so. So first, like the positive is, there's always going to be a story. Like film stuff all day, and like even if you don't think you got anything good, like take your time, watch back the footage, and really think about it, analyze it. Because what you've recorded is your primary source material. So you have all this primary source material from whatever happened that day that you filmed. And look back at it and say to yourself, what's here? What do I have? What's interesting? And pick out the interesting moments. And then you can create a second layer and, and create a second story. Film yourself some more and create a second story that's like capturing what that stuff, like reframing what that stuff is that you've captured. And so then, like the analogy with the, with the 5 o'clock news, where you have that interesting cell phone clip that was captured, that's the primary source. The secondary source is the newscaster explaining what the context of the story is. So you can be both of those. You can be the context and frame stuff. And then you have a cohesive story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
So I think that's like the biggest learning lesson or the way that you tell stories. Like there's always something. If you bring the camera out and you capture stuff, you have the primary source material. It's just about really being deliberate about watching it back and then figuring out how to frame it correctly so that people understand and they go through this narrative with you. Um, the, the, on the other side, like probably the hardest thing is it's incredibly exhausting. And so a big part of, of telling a compelling story as a YouTuber is having a ton of energy and being excited. And when you're tired, that's really hard to do. Um, you can just immediately watch back your footage and you're like, wow, I just look so tired and like I'm not interesting because I'm like a sleepyhead. <laughs> and people don't care. And I don't care. It seems yeah. like I don't care because I'm just like, mm, People don't come know. to YouTube to watch a sleepyhead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so the hardest part is just like, you know, when you, when you film yourself all day and then you start editing at night, like you don't get a lot of sleep. You have to wake up the next day and do it again. So creating a schedule and creating a, a workflow that, that works is really hard. Like I'm working on a piece right now about all these national parks that I visited over the course of like three or four days. And the primary source material is incredible. Like I shot incredible stuff in these the most amazing majestic parks of all time. But figuring out how to fit that and tell a story and like create the, the narrative arc around that, I've been struggling with. And I've been struggling with it because I'm tired from driving around the country for so many weeks and I'm tired from just like being on the I haven't been home in a month. And so it's like carving out the time and like being excited and like making it happen because I know that this is an incredible movie. I just haven't like gotten to the place yet where I can like put the finishing touches on and get it out. So you mentioned that, you know, one of your tips is that you have to make these videos for yourself and, and not necessarily always for the audience. And, you know, we agree with that completely. If you're not excited about what you're doing or you don't have the passion for it, why would you do it in the first place? And there's just yeah. no longevity in that. Outside of that, and you don't have to have an answer for this, I think Samir and I still try and find the answer to this on our channel, but is there a common theme or a common message that when people watch your videos, you want to get across? Um, yeah, sort of. I'm still finding it. Yeah. I think for me, the thing that I'm finding is that there's so much more positivity in the world than what you see on a daily basis in your newsfeed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like bad negative stories like are more clickable, I guess, or something. But there's so many great people in the world and there's so much interesting stuff to do and so many beautiful places to visit. So for me, it's like, can I just like go and like do that and live that and just reiterate to people that this stuff is out there and it's available and the world isn't just negative stories and like it is accessible for you too. Like you don't have to stay in one place all the time. Like you can leave your job and go somewhere else. Like there's a way to do it. Even if it's too expensive or it's too scary or whatever, like there's a way to do it. Figure out how to do it. And this goes back to the same lessons of of like creating a business or working with Casey or whatever. It's like, the, it's there. It's there for the taking. Figure it out. And it's the people who, who, who take it, who sees it, are the ones who end up being YouTube stars or filmmakers or whatever. And the people who just sit and fantasize about it never get there. Um, so you do have to take the, that leap. So I think that's sort of the theme, part of the theme. So I'm going to ask you a question that's going to kind of lead into our Twitter Q&A. We've gotten cool. a lot of questions over this past hour on Twitter for you, uh, and I want to I want to keep it uh, concise and, and pick some really yeah. good ones. There's there's one that is kind of similar to a question we asked you while we were on the road, and basically the question is, when you were working, you know, at a job, you had a lot of structure of where you needed to be, when you needed to be where, 
and now you control your own time. The question is, what is what does a perfect day look like for you? Yeah, and you know, when are you doing the things that you love the most, and how do you make sure that that continues? Yeah, um, or structure your days to keep doing the things that you love. Yeah. The most? So I am a people person. I love hanging out with other people and like just talking to people and just living life with other people. Like I don't I like much more than being alone. Right. So the perfect, a big part of the perfect day is just like hanging out with someone who I like, who's interesting. And that could be someone that I've known for my whole life or a year or someone that I've just met that day. So that's kind of step one. Uh, another part of the perfect day is doing something new and exciting or experiencing something that you haven't experienced before I think is can be really great and so a big part of why I've been traveling for the last like six weeks straight is to do that to be able to see and do new stuff every day and meet new people every day um so that's another big part of it um I guess in contrast to what I just said though like I also love like spending the day at the beach with my family which is like kind of the opposite of that but that's also can be a perfect day um, and then like from a YouTube standpoint, yeah, like being able to create something really exciting and fun on top of that, that's like a, you know, an extra great yeah. thing. Okay. So we're going to go into some Twitter Q and a here. Hell yeah. So I'm going to start with uh, hard hitting from Shimon Daz pineapples on pizza. Yes or no? No. Really? No. no. Really? Way. No way. Pizza plain. Maybe pepperoni. That's a real New York answer. Yeah, that's like a real Joe's there's, pizza. There's answer. pineapple on pizza in New York. It's just it's gross. Pizza is a savory Still a New York answer. Pizza is a savory thing, not a sweet thing. California would say like, take the cheese off, just put avocado. Okay, yeah, take go, the bread go, off. Go yeah, back to like, CPK, guys. Yeah, <laughs> go back to CPK. Take the bread California off, knows it, nothing about pizza. Make it spinach and banana, and put it in a blender, and that's pizza. Yeah. Um, question from Michael Avery: What do you think about YouTube Red? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have it. I haven't seen like any of the shows on there. So I don't know if YouTube red wanted to offer me a show. I'd be really excited about it. (laughs) Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I actually don't have, I don't have YouTube red, but I have YouTube TV, which I'm really enjoying. And I don't know if it's because we grew up in the television era and I, it's like nostalgic for me to be able to put on a channel and just not have too much control over what's on it. It's funny that now sometimes I don't want to decide what type of content I want to watch. YouTube TV and YouTube Red are totally separate. You have to pay for both. Totally different things. Okay. Yeah, YouTube TV is like, TV is like 35 CBS. bucks a right. month. And, and you get Rose. Cartoon Network and stuff. You get like just channels, like yeah. watching TV. Yeah. Um, so that's like really enjoyable for me. Um, okay, so question here. Uh, from Jenna, it's a two-part question, and they are completely unrelated. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Cookie dough. And what's been the hardest part of your creative journey so far? Uh, the hardest part. The hardest part is is like time. Like I wish there was more hours in the day. You know, there's not enough hours in the day. Like I would make a video every day if there's more hours, but I just like get so exhausted from like doing stuff all day and then staying up all night editing and then waking up the next day and doing it again. Here's a question from Sean Dodge. He says, seems like Jack Coyne has been spending a lot of time on the West Coast. Is a move in the near future? Uh, yes, maybe. Yes, potentially. Yeah, I, I want to move out here. It's nice out here. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get Colin to move in with me. 
Trying, I'm getting him to look for apartments for, for us. I already said I'm in. I'm going to start looking. Uh, this question is from Ruben G. Films. Who is your idol? Um, I don't have, like, my dad is my idol, maybe. I don't have, like, a, a one specific idol. I think, like, there's so many different people who do incredible stuff. Like, just on a personal level, my dad is someone who came from very humble beginnings and just, like, worked really hard, but is also, like, a really nice, great person who just does things the right way always. So I think that's the way that I want to live my life is, like, just, like, be good. He's, like, the biggest example of that. He just always does the right thing. That's a good answer. Uh, From Tim Keller, this is kind of similar to a question I already asked you, but, um, Jack, how are you dealing with planning your work days when you're the only one who says what you have to do? So I guess time yeah. management and, and scheduling, how are you doing? It's that? hard. It's super hard. It's super hard, especially when you're traveling because you're like sort of feel like you're on vacation, but you're also working. Time management's not easy. One tip is to every day when you wake up, write down a list of things that you want to accomplish that day and then check them off by the end of the day. Corey says, when is the next RV trip? Uh, I'm talking about doing something in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I talked to you guys about a little bit off the pod that I'm trying to get you guys involved with that is centered in the Pacific Northwest. So more details on that to come. And then I would say hopefully once that happens... Australia, dude. Australia. We're taking it international. I want to go to Australia so bad. Me too. All right, from Luke, he says, do you view YouTube as your job or your passion? Passion. Yeah, passion. Maybe one day it'll be my job, but right now it's just like for fun and to like get my work out there and to get sort of to share these stories and keep these stories. Like hopefully YouTube doesn't shut down. I don't think it will. <laughs> but like now I have all these like things. Like I have a, a living record of everything that I've done over the last couple of months, and so that's great. That's for me personally. Yeah, I feel maybe like, that'll turn into a career. I feel like people are starting to diversify in fear of something happening to YouTube or just like just because like going to Twitch and going to different yeah. places. Like let's let's go outside of this. Just I get that, but that's that's not my like. If it was a job and a career, yeah, I would diversify. I'd be everywhere. But like for me, it's just like a good place to archive the stuff and like show someone that I meet for the first time. Like, hey, I make you know you want to see my stuff? Here it is. It's YouTube.com slash Jack Coin. Yeah. So if you guys have more questions for Jack, you can tweet them at him at Jackie Coin. Jackie uh, with a Y. Jackie with a Y. So that's uh, <laughs> Jack Y Coin. Yeah. The Y stands for Yeezy. And uh, I, I have a last question. What is in the future for Jack Coin? I guess in the short term and then in the long term, totally. what, are, what are some of your goals? So in the short term, I'm going to a wedding this afternoon. <laughs> I'm going to my buddy's sister's wedding today in L.A. That's why I'm here. I'm um, flying back to New York tomorrow. I'm going to the Yankees home opener on Monday. Go Knicks. Let's go Knicks. Sports. Let's go sports. Let's <laughs> go right. Yanks. Let's go Mets, most of all. Yeah. Um, I'll be in New York this week, and then I'm going to Columbia next week. And then, yeah, this my life is crazy right now. And I'm working on a commercial project for this brand uh, that my friends from high school started. That's inc- like It's such a cool company called Matcha Bar. Um, so I've been doing sort of secretly working on that. Um, and that is going to be take up a lot of time in May. That's not going to be on my channel. That's going to be totally for them. So it's like a commercial production, which is super awesome. Is that stuff that you want to get into, like directing and, and yeah, getting in that direction? Cool. I love doing that. I love making movies, so like any capacity. 
one one piece of advice that our audience can take away if they have an idea or if they want to start making videos, what's one piece of advice to them? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is the consistent theme of the whole podcast so far for me. Like, just do it. Figure it out. Like, the answer's there. Like, don't ask a million questions. Don't email me. Like, how do I make this movie? How do I do Premiere? Like, er the answer to everything is online. Like, watch YouTube videos and figure it out and do it. Put yourself out there. And like film yourself, and if you knock, if you if you film yourself and you watch it back, and you're like, "Wow, I suck," do it again and do it better because it's a learning experience. Just do it. Nike's so good; they were so right. But like, seriously, just do it. All right, Jack. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, guys. I can't wait to move out of here. Yeah. All right, we're gonna shut. We're gonna shut this thing <laughs> off and have some more off the pod conversation. Awesome. So that was it for our conversation with Jack Coyne. If you want to follow Jack on YouTube, just type in Jack Coyne or go to youtube.com slash Jack Coyne. He's also really active on Twitter and has a lot of great things to say, as I'm sure you heard. You can find him on Twitter at Jackie Coyne. And if you want to watch some of the content that we're talking about, check out our video series called the Jack Coyne Chronicles. That's when we went on that road trip with him and on his channel, there's a few videos from that road trip as well. They're all awesome, fun, and document what it's like to meet someone brand new on the internet. If you have feedback for us on this podcast, we'd love to hear from you guys. Tweet it at us, at Colin and Samir, or you can email us, colinandsamir at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Anything else, Colin? YouTube.com slash Colin and Samir. All right, that's it for this episode of the Colin and Samir podcast. We'll see you next. I keep saying we'll see no, you. No, it's a listen thing. Okay, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>